Well, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. And uh, I'm a, a member of Full Gospel Businessmen. I'm an executive member back in Yorkton, and it's all Randy's fault. And uh, I'm here tonight mainly because of Randy, so if you're unhappy, it's his fault. Um, you know, it's, it's just an amazing journey. And the thing that I really appreciate about Full Gospel, what I got to know about Full Gospel very quickly off the start, being a very family-oriented or, uh, family organization, but, uh, you know, out in the world today, you'll hear all kinds of people debating theology and the Bible and things. But the thing that really drew me to Full Gospel was people's stories and their testimonies and what God has done in their lives to make them change. And that's undeniable because my story is my story. And anybody wants to debate, I'm happy to do that. But uh, really, it is uh, the personal stories that have impacted people and impacted others through their stories. And uh, that's a lot of uh, what really brought me along my, my stronger Christian journey. Uh, you know, my colleagues here tonight, they know I can talk a lot, and they're probably just shaking their heads. I think Al gave me about half an hour, and they're going like, yeah, right, you can hardly introduce yourself in half an hour. <laughs> I got a lot of words in my head. My little boy brain used to say this thing. I got a lot of words in my head, Dad, but I get them from her, <laughs> my mom. She's got a lot of words in her, her head, too. Uh, but I, I'm going to follow my wife's guidance. Uh, a few years ago, my kids asked me a question. We were on a trip down to California, thing driving, and they asked me a question. I'm not going to say what the question was, but I went on to describe explain this answer and my wife she holds up her hand and says Greg they asked you what time it was not how to build the clock <laughs> so hopefully tonight I'll tell you what time it is and I won't uh, I won't build my clock tonight I want to acknowledge the dignitaries in the room uh, first and foremost uh, happy birthday to our speaker of the legislative assembly Corey Tucker <laughs> we have time at the end maybe we'll sing him happy birthday uh, also we have in the room uh, other fellow MLAs we have uh, Greg Lawrence our government whip. We have, I'm going to look around, is everybody over here? Lori, Lori Carr, a member from Estevan, a good friend of mine. Uh, she actually comes in, uh, we, I kind of host a prayer uh, gathering, a, a kind of a counseling prayer gathering Wednesday mornings, and Lori's a regular attendee. Eric Lawson from uh, Saskatoon as well uh, is here tonight. He's uh, another friend that comes from time to time on Wednesdays. Uh, we have, any other MLAs here right now? Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> caucus chair Randy Weeks. I should have went to him second because of protocol. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Randy Weeks, is our, our caucus chair, Sask Party. And, uh, of course, my friend, my brother from another mother, Chief George Cody, same father. I actually introduced George that way in the Legislative Assembly one day. He's up there, and I described him, my brother from a different mother, but the same father. I'm not going to say the member, but he looks at me, and he's an evangel evangelical kid, and he looks at me and says, Really? I said, what do you mean? He says, you got a different father? Like, he's so tanned. And I said, father. <laughs> oh, we also have an attendance here tonight, a counselor from Saskatoon, Randy Donauer. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my pastor from Yorkton, uh, Des Clankspawn, is, is here tonight. And, I mean, there's a lot of friends in the room, but I really have to acknowledge these, uh, these gentlemen. I, I mentioned the two colleagues that uh, pray with us regularly, but uh, people that have, uh, have been uh, praying with me and, and alongside each other for 10 years, I think, for the most part, a lot of us. Uh, Richard Lepp from the Saskatchewan House of Prayer and his good friend of his wife and my good friend, Joanne. Uh, Scott Simpkins, a friend of mine, uh, 
He's worked in the building. He's ran for us uh, provincially. And his wife, Sherry, uh, quite often is uh, meeting on Wednesdays, another good friend, so welcome, Scott. As well as uh, chaplain of the Regina Police Service and leader impact uh, for the province of Saskatchewan, Mr. Rod Donison. Another good friend, public school teacher, uh, Jeff Lobb from the city of Regina. Very good friend. Jeff's one of those guys, about a couple of years probably we've known each other, but it's like we've known each other forever. And of course, uh, a lot of people know, uh, know Scott Francis, Dr. Scott Francis. He's a leader coach, a volunteer firefighter, volunteer first responder, another good friend that, that uh, meets with us regularly on Wednesday. So welcome, Scott. And of course, uh, not least by any stretch of the imagination is my family. I really want to acknowledge them. I want to honor my mom tonight. Like, I, I just knew when she cracked, she's going to be praying for me. But uh, you get to know her, you'll understand a lot of things about me. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's a woman. And talk about a servant's heart. It's a lady that I can point back to my earliest memory of uh, probably in York. And it's probably a year or two old. And how I remember this, I don't know. But we lived in the smallest shack on this trailer court because dad and mom manage this trailer court where the casino is in Yorkton right now. And I remember, and she tells me the story, and I still remember the recipe. I mean, people look at MLAs, and they don't realize the background you come from. But, you know, growing up a garbage man, we had a pretty good, uh, successful company towards the end. But there was a lot of hard years. And when Dad was starting the company in 63, 64, 65, doing other jobs to actually support starting the business, Mom working, looking after the kids, working, you know, virtually a full-time job, putting all of her money back into the company to support paying the men, when her and Dad combined probably took took home less than the lowest paid guy to start that and to scratch away out of, you know, a pretty meager lifestyle to, uh, you know, somewhat success. And I, a lot of my work ethic and I think my heart and stuff I get from my mom. But I still remember her recipe for potato soup because I remember we ate potato soup for a long time. And basically you boil the cut up potatoes and you throw in an OXO cube and if you had some money you threw in another onion and that was potato soup. And <laughs> George, you can probably relate. He'd have bannock with it too though, but... But, uh, you know, I just want to honor my mom, just such a giving lady that sacrificed over and over again. I'm going to cry now. <laughs> See? But uh, just uh, such a giving lady, and I'm just so blessed to have her as my mom. And my dad has passed away a few years ago, but, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, just great parents that I grew up with and really uh, gave me a foundation for, uh, for where I am here today. And uh, I think she would tell the story, and this is no joking aside. I mean, she knew a lot about what I was into when I was younger, and you know, a bit of a challenging youth. I'd probably be called an at-risk youth today, but she honestly did not believe I'd live past 18 uh, for a lot of reasons, whether it was, you know, not imposed by myself. I remember uh, when I was a small kid, uh, Dad driving the car, and we were put through an intersection. We got broadsided, and I would always ride with my leg between the seat and the, and the door. Mom actually worked in a body shop at that time as an accountant, and the car was being fixed in the body shop, and I got hit right in my side of the door. And when the body men were taking this car apart, and this is divine intervention without a doubt in my, in my mind, they took the car apart, and they asked her to come out, I think, if I remember, a month to look at it. And the seat was wowed in where my foot was. The doors, you could see where my foot was in the car, but I was unharmed. I wasn't, I wasn't injured at all. The car was almost a total write-off, but, you know, broadsided right on. I was, what, five, six, seven, maybe? And, uh, you know, God protected me. A number of years later, the ice was just off of Crooked Lake Road, fishing with my dad and my other two brothers and my dad's cousin and his son. And we flipped our boat, and uh, there's no doubt we should have all died. Hypothermia, and nobody had life jackets on except for my younger brother. But Dad, uh, he used to tell a story of looking. We were very close to the Capel River coming out on the, on the west side, or that side of the, the lake, and seeing an angel come out of, the, out of the river. And in hindsight, he figured maybe it was a boat. But I have no doubt there was intervention there, because we really shouldn't have lived through that. And, uh, you know, God, God's protected my whole family. Um. <laughs> 
I'll just touch on a couple other ones, and these were self-induced. I remember a, a time probably being stupid, and I... Everybody's seen Smoking a Bandit, the first one, where the sheriff puts a car underneath the semi, pulls the roof off? Yeah, well, the roof doesn't actually come all the way off, and don't try that at home. <laughs> but I live not a scratch. And I remember another instance, I actually lost the brakes in my car. I was racing my brother home from the regional high school late one night, and he had a police interceptor, and I had the Chevelle SS, and we're racing. I turned early, and he turned later on. We're racing to the house, and I didn't make it home. And he comes looking for him, and he found me plastered up against a light pole just short of Broadway. And I remember what I remember from the accident was driving down the street and going too fast, I've got to admit. And I lost my brakes, and I didn't know what to do, so I started downshifting the car, and I didn't have brakes, and I started getting it pitched sideways. And I had a choice. It was Broadway was full of traffic at 7, 8 o'clock at night. Our, our neighbor's house uh, uh, was, was right there. I had a choice to hit the house, so there's this pole, so I just turned into the pole. And uh, it caved the car in. The engine ended up in the firewall, and my head hit the windshield. I didn't have my seatbelt on. Head hit the windshield. And when the police officer came to look, he looked in the car, and he said, like, let me see your chest, and lifted my shirt. You could see the imprint of the steering wheel because it was wrapped right around the, the post. And you could see the imprint of the, the steering wheel in my chest, but when I got checked out, there's no broken bones and, and nothing there. And there's no doubt in my, my mind that uh, God definitely protected me in that. And there's probably a lot of other stories I could tell, but they'd probably get me in some trouble. Uh, you know, and I want to honor my wife here tonight. And, you know, I probably, you know, another one that kept me alive past 18. We actually met, to, met in high school, uh, dated for five and a half years before we got married, high school sweethearts. And, and uh, she's been just solid with me all the, all the years of my life and very supportive even in, through my traveling and racing years and eating dust at motocross tracks and whatever else, but has always been there and supportive. And, uh, you know, I know I wouldn't have become a strong Christian if it wasn't for her praying for me probably for three years straight before I came to a realization of where I had to go and, and accept Christ in my life. And I'm just so blessed to have her. And I'm such a great surprise to see my eldest daughter, Caitlin, here tonight. So proud of her. She was a challenge. But... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, now she's, a, she's an RN. She's my roommate here for four years in Regina. She's an RN now, and, and I'm just so very proud of her, and it's just a great surprise to see her tonight. My daughter, Rand, as Randy mentioned, isn't able to be here. She uh, just had her first grandchild two years ago, March 26th, and uh, just really blessed to, to have, you know, the people I do in my life, the people I mentioned, the friends, and, and, of course, my family. is just, uh, it's just great. So when it comes to my personal testimony... Oh, Loretta, I'm sorry. No, I mean, this is a special lady. Loretta's my, my constituency assistant back in, in, in Yorkton. But she's way more than that. She's just such a close friend. She's a, like a sister and uh, you know, does such a great job in, in carrying on the, the work that we have to do together in Yorkton. But serving the people of Yorkton in the capacity she does is just utterly amazing. And uh, everybody thinks they have the best CA in the province, but I'll match them up anytime. She's pretty awesome. <laughs> But when it comes to personal testimony, you know, what, what first comes to mind is um, what I would have, uh, the way I would have approached my faith back growing up. I, I was raised Catholic, Catholic school and all that, and I'm very thankful for that upbringing because that gave me a foundation and a knowledge of the Bible and Jesus and God and heaven and how all that worked, the Holy Spirit. But I knew it, but I didn't really have it in my heart. And, uh, you know, I, I would have identified myself back then as well by what I did. I was... Uh, mechanically inclined I built hot cars and I raced motorcycles and I became a commercial pilot and a business owner and all that and that's how I would have identified myself probably for a lot of years of my life up to probably 10 or 15 years ago and uh, you know I'll touch on that a bit more more later but again being a sort of a traditional Catholic it was church on you know the odd Sunday Christmas Easter weddings funerals type of thing and uh, 
you know, I talked about some of these issues that, that really God has protected me from, but uh, I, know, I know growing up that I, I had a really good sense because of my Catholic upbringing of right and wrong, but how it played out in my life, and a lot of that hasn't changed, but how it actually played out in my life was, was quite different. It wasn't really, um, wasn't really ideal. Um, but you know, that, that early knowledge of, of heaven and, and God and everything, it did help me in a lot of instances. For example, it would have been uh, May of 1981, right here in Regina on McCarthy Boulevard. Uh, my cousin Stephen was just like a brother to me. We spent a lot of time together. And um, we had a terrible phone call. It would have been just, I don't know, prior, just a little bit before graduation, I think. And uh, long story short, he's on McCarthy Boulevard. He should have been home that night, but a friend of him, I uh, had broken up with his girlfriend, I think, and asked him to come for a ride. Ended up racing somebody McCarthy Boulevard, and he ended up, uh, they ended up hitting a truck on somebody's front yard, and he ended up with a drivetrain in his chest, and he was killed instantly. But what that really taught me was, I was so close to him, and I knew him so well, but when we went to the funeral, and I was looking at his body in the, in the casket, and it's the first time I kind of realized, because you go to the grandparents and stuff, and, you know, it's kind of the natural timeline but I looked at his body in that casket and I wondered like where was he like that's his body but where is he like there's got to be more there's got to be something they have and so I really that really got me thinking about you know where I was where I was going to end up and uh you know what all, what all that meant in in uh, relation to the bible and, and to god um I mentioned you know Leon and I met in high school and we married five years later and uh you know just a pretty good relationship I think we always had we'd have our we were young, and we'd have our issues from time to time, but just a real blessing. And uh, we started having a family pretty young. Caitlin came in 1988, and our daughter, Rianne, came in 1990. And then our son, Braden, we had in 1994. And I just kind of had our family unit, a son, a couple daughters, business, and, you know, I'd doing some racing and stuff at that time still. But really, things were going along pretty neat. I ended up started, I think, flying in the early 90s, and uh, life was pretty good. Um, especially Braden, he really liked to seem to go to church. We started going to church probably every Sunday, more probably set the example for the kids and more out of duty than anything, not really out of relationship. But we started going to church fairly regularly, and it really, like, memory comes to mind is how much Braden loved to go to church. He'd be climbing on the pews and underneath, but he loved to be there, befriended our priest, Father Basil, who is retired in Regina here right now. I just saw him last Sunday, actually, was at St. George Church in Yorkton this weekend. But just the, the relationship that they built uh, fairly soon, and the reason they ended up building the relationship was when Father Basil came, he wanted to meet this family who had this son who had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, long story short, he would come over fairly regularly and end up giving Braden his his first communion and all that. And uh, they really struck up a relationship. And Father Basil was a good friend of the family and a really great support to Braden. Uh, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but um, you know, life's challenges, you have to hang on to something, whether it's family or whatever, but I've come to really believe you really have to hang on to your faith, you have to hang on to God. So, uh, you know, challenges become opportunities, but the, that challenge that we ran into was when uh, Braden got diagnosed. He had a, a strange walk, he ended up developing a stiff neck and what we thought were night terrors, and it ended up he got diagnosed with ganglioneuroblastoma of the spinal cord. So he had a, spi- a tumor in his spinal cord from C7 to T8, and... Uh, really was a struggle. He had a very invasive surgery they didn't expect him. They didn't know about survivability. They didn't expect him to walk. They had all the, the top uh, ICU doctors and nurses on staff for him. Uh, he came out of that kicking and screaming as he was mobile and, and vocal and really came out of that good. So he wasn't in ICU nearly as long as they thought he would be. Uh, was doing very, very well. So he endured that very invasive surgery. He endured months and months of chemotherapy. And um, 
did very well. Eventually he had radiation because uh, we found that the cancer hadn't fully gone. He ended up with a couple uh, lesions in his brain which developed into major tumors. And um, I remember early on in his diagnosis, uh, you know, not really a prayer to speak. It probably was. It was a conversation with the Lord where um, he was laying in bed, and because his spinal cord tumor was right there, I laid it with him back to back, and I said, Lord, you know, as any parent I think would do, just move it an inch. Um, I didn't want to see him suffer. Water break. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. But, uh, you know, although that conversation, that prayer wasn't answered, I think that was really the start of my sincere walk with Christ. I was, I was having a conversation, I was asking him, asking him for help. And, you know, I don't know how things play out all the time. I don't have answers for everything. But I know that, um, you know, that conversation I had with God, and Leon's got her own testimony about uh, her conversation with God at that time. But he really seemed to get into our life. And, and whether I was up and Leon was down or she was up and I was down, we were never down or up at the same time. We were always were there to support each other and support him. And it was really, uh, as odd as it sounds, it was quite a, quite a blessing of a time. So at that time, I didn't have any road to, to mass conversion. I, I've heard some people have post that. But um, sort of sometimes a bit envious of that. I shouldn't be. But it's really amazing to me when you hear these amazing stories where almost like, you know, Paul's conversion on, on the road to Damascus. But what I noticed in my life, you know, uh, jokes weren't jokes that I thought were funny weren't funny anymore, and different entertainment wasn't so good anymore. You know, growing up in the back of a garbage truck, pretty much every second word started with an F, and uh, you know, less than ideal. But I mean, I had to start setting an example for my kids, and I just knew that wasn't right. So God was really starting to change my heart, um, and He He really became part of our lives. And you know, we talk about the third strand in a cord, and I know looking back, God was really there and supporting my family. And really guided us. In fact, I remember back then, uh, Leon coming up with this. I've heard it mentioned in different ways since, but came up with this, this, uh, this saying, bitter or better, we have to choose the vowel. It's a choice. We don't have to be victims. We can be victors in this type of thing. And um, I found out later, like, it really is a choice. When you look at the, 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 the statistics when it comes to divorce, 50% divorce rate, Christian or non-Christian, you look at when there's a, a, a medical tragedy in a family, 75%. Uh, when you have a tragically ill or medically fragile or particularly a terminal ill child, 95%, like very seldom do marriages prosper, and ours has. We got stronger, and as a family unit, we became stronger, and I have no doubt that was God's influence in our life. Um, Braden's story is like, I could go on to, with it for hours, but uh, I'll try and stay as tight as I can here tonight. Anyway, his, uh, his journey was a long one, and uh, just over two years, and uh, it ended up his last week. He was palliative, so we, we had him at home. We're doing his palliative care at home. Uh, it would have been February 11th, 2000, 6.45 in the morning, when earlier that evening we knew like his breathing had escalated and his fever was up, and the signs were close to the rattling chest, so we knew he was pretty close. So Leo and I spent the night in bed and alongside him. He was in our bed and, and praying and talking and crying, and we kind of knew it was coming. And... Um, I think I had dozed off, and then Leon kicked me just in time to see Braden. And you have to understand at this point, uh, the tumor had taken the right side of his body. His eye was glossy. His lips would almost like a stroke. His right arm never worked. So he'd always lay on his right side, and that's where he found the most comfort. And uh, I opened my eyes to see him rolled on his back. He had both of his hands to the sky evenly. His eyes were clear. His mouth was had an even smile, laid his hands on his chest, and he passed away. And... Um, as odd as it sounds, it was such a blessing because 
I just knew I could just see either an angel of the Lord or Christ himself was there welcome Braden. And um, it, was, it was really a blessing, and it really comforted us to see that. And a lot of stories I could tell about that, but in hindsight, the kids that Leon and I have come to meet, terminally ill or tragically Ill, Ill kids or just old souls, they have this maturity about them. And looking back, Braden had that. In fact, all the time that we were, he was pretty aware of what was going on with himself, and all the times we were trying to comfort him, looking back, he was comforting us. He, was, he, really, he loved his dad, but he really loved his mom. He's quite a mama's boy. And I remember Leon having this conversation with him one time, saying, you realize, like, when you go to heaven, we can't go with you. Oh, you'll be okay. No big deal. You'll be okay. He had this blankie he just loved, and we said, you know, you won't be able to take your blankie. I won't need it. I won't need it. You know, well, we're going to miss you. You guys will be okay. Uh, you know, even saying things like uh, when he was taking some treatment, we thought about maybe getting him to Texas for a trial. In hindsight, he probably wouldn't even have survived the trip at that point. But uh, as odd as it sounds, ask a five-year-old, like, you know, do you want to go to Texas? And he says, no, I just want to go home. And we didn't really understand because we're kind of flying back from Saskatoon or whatever. But that kept coming up. And then we realized eventually he was saying, I just want to go home to heaven. And like the, the peace that he gave us was unbelievable. And the peace that he gave us, what we learned from that, we've been able to use in years past, comforting other parents and families that are losing kids and uh, you know, other people suffering loss. And so we've tried to do that. And the Bible tells us he comforts us in our troubles so we can comfort others in their time of need. And he's definitely done that in our lives. And I don't know how we would do that without him. Uh, you know, and I, I've shared this actually with a friend the other day who lost a child at six years old and he was having a bit of a tough time. And I said, you know what I found with myself? The pain I don't mind having because when I feel that pain, because anybody that's experienced that, especially the loss of somebody, loss of a child, there's a kind of a reality or a, a, it's hard to explain, but a, a, a kind of a twisted sense that, that can enter your mind. It's like, you know, we're the, like Braden now is 17 years since he's passed away, you know, and 17 uh, 20 years since he was diagnosed. And sometimes you wonder, was he really here? And, you know, I drive by the cemetery, oh, yeah, this gravestone. But when I feel those pangs of, of pain, it is comfort because I know he was here. I know how much I loved him. And, uh, and I know I'll see him again because of what God tells me. And uh, it just reminds me, it's a confirmation of my continuing love for my little boy. And he's included all the time. Like, it's, it's almost like he's on a holiday because we talk about him and, and uh, that all the time. Pictures all over the house still. And, uh, you know, even as odd as that sounds, the Bible also tells us in Romans 8.28, God can use all things for, those, for the good of those that love him. And he definitely has used some pretty tragic situations in our lives, I think, for, for his good and for our own good. And a lot of good has come from that. In fact, we're just about to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Braden Ombre Close Cuts for Cancer. Unfortunately, this year, because of, I'll talk about my diagnosis in a minute, maybe, if the time allows, but... But uh, my surgery's on the 24th, close cut's 27th. I'll probably still be in ICU, so I'll have to miss it. I'll have to FaceTime in or something. But it's the 20th anniversary of fundraising that's raised 800,000 plus in research and 100 and some thousand local initiatives. And, uh, you know, definitely not so much. Leon says it's in spite of us most of the time, not because of us. But definitely God, God has his hands in there. And I talked about bereaved parents' support, uh, local initiatives, patient supports. Uh, the book fund that we started in his honor. He loved reading, so we do have a, a fund that's in conjunction with Kinsman Club of York, where we donate books to different libraries in his memory. And uh, just a number of other things that uh, he does live, live on through, and, and you know, because of that experience, we've been able to bless other people with. Uh, you know, I've talked a, a lot to people about, you know, they'll talk about the time, like it's terrible a five-year-old, or now I'm 53 years old, or you know, whatever the case might be, that's too young. You know, in our, in our narrow mindset, yeah, from our view, I think, the worldly view it is. But if we truly believe like I do, that we are eternal beings, it's infinity both ways. 
So to us, 550 or 100, you know, there's a quite a big gap there. But really when God looks at that, it's a pinpoint in that timeline. So to him, it's not that big of a deal. To us, we make a big deal. And I just trust that when it's my time to go that uh, hopefully it's longer rather than sooner. But um, that I'll, I'll just be comforted and, okay, now I get it. That's what it's all about. I don't really need to know here. Uh, when I get back to my testimony, you know, there's always those, it's hard to point to significant events that really did a change for me. And the one I can point to, Father Basil, I talked about the Catholic priest, just an amazing guy. But I remember it was a Good Friday service shortly after Braden had passed away. And, uh, and the, the, the church was dark and everything's covered up. And he comes in the back carrying a cross with a, a, a red drape on it and chanting, this is the wood of the cross in which died the Savior of the world. And he kept doing that, and he'd undrape, and he'd, he finally got to the front of the church, laid it in a prone position, and, he's, and he was laying there, and he kept doing that. And every time he did, my heart would just break. For the first time, I realized, you know, when Jesus is on the cross, God's his dad, yeah, yay, cool, Bible. I could just feel what he really did for me. And it brings to memory a story that my friend Richard Lepp shared one time. And I think God, I don't know if he gave me the same vision or his description burnt into my mind, but a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, looking up and turning and looking at him, saying, this is for you, Richard. And I had that same vision. It was just like so powerful that I realized for the first time in my life what really following him meant and what he did for me. It just had such an impact. And later on in the years, 2004, I think, was when uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out. And I've seen the movie once in full and maybe once afterwards. It's hard to watch, but as, as brutal as it is, I know it wasn't as brutal as what Christ went through for me, and it just, just really enforces that point. So anyway, I continued to walk out my faith and relationship with Christ through prayer, his word. I put his faith into, my faith into actions through my family and community and, you know, trying to treat my, my wife and kids better. It wasn't nearly perfect, and maybe I'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, really lacking in a lot of ways. But really, God was working in my life and really improving my relationships and my actions and uh, terrible temper I have. A lot of people here don't believe that, but just ask my wife. She'll tell you. It's, and there's not too many people can bury, bury a two-and-a-half-inch open-end wrench across a 30-foot shop in a plywood wall, but I could, the right situation, I could do it, followed by some choice words. Uh, but mission trips, you know, working in my community, uh, although I still attend the Catholic Church from time to time, I think I get a bit out of it, but it's more out of duty, I think, sometimes. We've really found our home at Prairie Harvest Christian Life Center. I'm so thankful to Pastor Des and his wife, Cheryl, uh, for the leadership they show there. It's just such a great home. And, uh, you know, become actively involved involved there in a lot of different ways. I became involved with the Full Gospel Businessman, which I talked about earlier, and being on the executive and becoming a very active uh, member there. And as I mentioned earlier, hosting that regular Wednesday morning meeting here in the legislature is such a blessing, you know, for the MLAs that show up, I think. For myself personally, it's like a counseling session. But we find we can just, all different areas, because if you think about the group that's kind of assembled there, not by choice, uh, Richard, Saskatchewan House of Prayer, Rod Donison, Regina Police Service Leader Impact, Public School through Jeff Lobb, Leadership and First Responders and Firefighters through, uh, through Scott Francis, Scott Simpkins, Business and all the different uh, activities he's involved with, MLAs, Cabinet Minister. Like it's, to me, it's such a well-rounded group that we come with different skills and different things to pray about, and we, we just cover the province, we cover each other in our challenges, and it's just such a blessing. And I think it's no... No small thing that for years we met in the speaker's office when Don Toth was speaker, and now we met in the MLA office previously. Now we're meeting in a, my board office, cabinet minister's office. Uh, I don't think that's in, insignificant, and meeting in this building in that regard, it really does, I think, have an impact. I've, I've tried to share you know, my testimony or, or stories or my faith in as many ways as I can, 
you know, whether it's in speeches in the legislature, if it fits, or in the community, I rarely pass up an opportunity to share my faith. In fact, I think Randy asked me about five years ago to do this, and I thought, eh, it work. I don't know. I'm not ashamed, but I just don't know about work. And, you know, especially in the, in the last few months, I thought, you know what, uh, Dennis Dick, a friend of mine that owns a rock radio station in New York, and he says, be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. And I thought, I'm never turning down an opportunity, no matter how small or big, to, to share my story and what God's done in my life, what Christ has done in my life. And uh, I shared this with my, my friends that uh, we meet with Wednesday morning. It's, it's, I get a little bit of a laugh out of it, but it's quite humbling when even some of my colleagues, they, you know, say nice things about me, and I just shake my head and I laugh, because my wife will tell you, I honestly, I would not be here without her support, her guidance, and her, and her input, uh, her impact in my life. But, uh, you know, honestly, the nice things that people say about me, you wouldn't be my friends, I don't think. I would be able to hold your friends because really the temper, the language, and the way I'd conduct myself. I always had the good heart. I knew right from wrong. But the way I'd play that out and act, it was not, not attractive. Um, and God has really changed that in me. So I, I, I do get, I, I really do enjoy and appreciate the, the nice comments. You know, Greg's a nice guy now, but oh, you don't know the old Greg, I tell you. Thank goodness he's not surfacing very often anymore. Every time I get a little bit of a temper tantrum, it's, I honestly, I don't think it's very bad, but Leon's, oh, here comes old Greg again. So it kind of guilts me into. St- <laughs> so. Because of my faith and some of the things and the impact, the relationships I've had, I want to share, if I can, just a few uh, lessons I've learned. One of the big things that's up for debate all the time is the relevance of the Bible. It's not relevant anymore. It's an old book. I would argue, you know what, uh, I haven't researched this specifically, but I've heard from a lot of very credible sources that the most, uh, the most supported historical book in the world, other than the Bible, has about two or 3,000 documents that support it. The Bible, 20,000. How can we deny the relevance of the Bible? A friend of mine who I served with for the first three years, who has uh, since gone, Serge Leclerc, I remember something he, uh, he said uh, when he would especially testimony to young, young kids at risk. <laughs> you know, Richard, oh boy, that was some interesting prayer meetings with Serge, I'll tell you, anybody that knew him. But uh, his, his relation to the Bible and to Christ was just so impacting, especially to youth and youth at risk in gangs. Because he said, as a former criminal and gang leader, he could kind of relate because he was a gang leader. He had a gang of about a dozen guys, and then he had these people around him that supported the gang, and they all followed him. Christ was a gang leader, had 12 gang members, apostles, and then a number of disciples that followed him. So when he got the first Bible, it was a Gideon Bible in prison, he said, yeah, Gideon's a pretty cool writer. This guy knows his stuff. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, too. But he would describe himself as a red-letter Christian. I want to, I want to know what the, what the leader said. The red letters, the reader's words, I want to follow him. And it was simple. Do this, do that. Got it easy to do. But he said what really impacted him, why he believed the Bible was true, and it's just an amazing um, realization, was as a gang leader, in a crime way, they were living a lie. Crime is a lie. Living a lie. One guy turns turns tool pigeon, turns him in, everybody scatters, and they don't come out because they're living a lie. Christ was a gang leader, led in an amazing way. One of his guys turns tool pigeon, they scattered, but they all came back out to die horrible deaths because they could not deny the truth. The only one that lived a longer life was John and Patmos. He was cast out, but they all died horrible deaths. And he says, you do not come out for that type of repercussions if it's not the truth. You know, other sources like Einstein, amazing, amazing man Einstein, his quote is, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. 
There was an atheist cold case detective that I heard about a while ago, and he was kind of, it was an interesting kind of a testimony he had. But as a cold case detective, he went out to prove the Bible wrong. So using his cold case skills, he researched all the Gospels, and even people that say like these different Gospels will contradict, he said that is standard police procedure, researching cold cases, and you'll find that, but you'll find these interweaving things that actually support each other. He said the Bible is exactly that. You approach it like a cold case, and the more he researched it, the more it proven itself true. He could not prove it a lie. And he became a born-again Christian because of what he researched. Or I think the, there's, there's a movie out right now, uh, Lee Strobel's story, about uh, his, as a journalist, an atheist journalist, to research and prove the Bible wrong. Became a born-again Christian, and I encourage you to go see the movie. Um, when we look at the important rules and lessons of the Bible, I think it's practical advice. The Ten Commandments, Sermons on the Mound, Sermon on the Mound, uh, the Beatitudes. I've actually challenged you know, journalists and, and agnostic atheist people in my life you know, talking about the irrelevance. I said, really? Like, just look at those different things that Jesus told us we were taught in the Ten Commandments, and how would the world be worse if we actually followed those? I, you know, I, it's undeniable that we would be better off, but we've drifted so far away from those core values to a place where we're changing laws to suit society, not, not the will of God. And I think that's why we're really off track in a lot of areas now. You know, how could the world be worse if we did that? As far as, I, as I'm concerned, whether you believe or not, the logical guidance is indisputable, and they've played out time and time again in my life. Another thing that I've really been focusing on lately, and I've talked about leadership, whether it's Rod or Scott or, you know, we've got a building full of leaders here, and uh, I've kind of challenged different groups with this. We think about a leader, and what's the world description of a leader right now? We think about a boss that dictates and tells people what to do, and they're almost irreplaceable, and they're, you know, celebrated, and they demand respect. And that's what the world looks at now. But I've challenged them. I said, do you want to, what's the best leader you can think of in history? Jesus Christ. He led as a servant. He led by example. He put others first. He built up all those around him to be leaders in their own right. So after three years, he only worked for three years. And his work continues and gets stronger for over 2,000. Indeniable, there's not a dictator, a strong leader, a positive leader that's ever walked the face of the earth can even come close. So although I fall short a lot, I always try and pattern my actions and how I, how I lead by him. And, uh, you know, it's so encouraging when I do see leaders. You know, I'll point to our premier who, uh, you know, sitting around the cabinet table really does uh, lead an example like that, and it's so encouraging to see that. And, I, you know, I follow his example as well, but my first example to follow is Jesus Christ and, and the example he said here with us. And so I'll ask myself, what, what example am I setting? And as I said, I fall short a lot, but... Uh, I always use that as my plumb line and come back. Uh, another lesson I've learned, and it's, it's kind of exemplified, I think, in Ephesians 6, but many places in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you know, what we're up against here, and I find even in my own experience that in meetings I'll have, and it's really contentious, but I'll kind of take a step back, and I prayed to the Lord to give me wisdom, knowledge, understanding, discernment, and guidance, no matter what. And I don't know if he does or not, but uh, so often I'll be sitting in a meeting like that and I think, and this isn't really about you and me, is isn't about the issues. There's something deeper here. And if you really pray for that and keep that mindset, it, to me it calms me down anyway because I realize it's not about this. There's something deeper. And, uh, you know, prayer and, and listening sometimes are really helpless situations, but it really is good to have that realization. And many times, I think there's six different places or so that I found it in the New Testament. And I think it's another leadership example. Do all you do is for God, not for man. And I think so often, whether it's in healthcare, public service, 
private business, if everybody operated in that way, we're going to fall short from time to time. We're not perfect. But if we always kind of got back to that, what a better world it would be, regardless of, you know, policy and whatever else. It just would be such an amazing place to operate from, and that's kind of my prayer. And again, I'm far from perfect, but I, I think about Philippians 3, 12, 14. I'll keep striving to all that God has, uh, Christ is calling me to be. And again, I fall short, but I'll keep asking, me, asking him where he wants me to go. Uh, you know, all of this has shown me something very specific. And I talked about that example of Christ on the cross. But this realization came to me. And I made a, a video, a Braden Otbury tribute video. It's just not enough time to play it tonight. But uh, if you want to see it, it's Braden Otbury tribute on YouTube. It's easy to search. And it's, it's older, but it's still very relevant today and it's a lot of pictures of him growing up and us going through the struggle with with his illness but um it's put to the music of mark schultz as he's my son and it just so much speaks to our story if i had any talent i could probably write the song but i don't have that talent but uh, it just really does tell our story and uh and at the end of that video i i'll give loretta full credit she put most of it together i found the pictures and she did it um but I, I came up with this quote, and it's, As a father who lost a son unwillingly, I can only imagine God's love for me that he would give his son. And that really has, uh, has sunk into my mind, and, and I, I try and remember that all the time. Earlier, uh, when I first started, I talked about identity and you know, who, what I saw myself to be. And I've, what I've come to realize through all this is, who I am, and I think it would suit, especially our young people now that are going through such struggles or people going through struggles today, is we have such a lack of who we really are. We identify by what we do, and if we lose what we do or we lose what we have or we believe what the world tells us that we are, we fall apart, and it's just terrible. I've come to realize two things. I'm a son of the Father. That makes Jesus Christ my brother. And I don't care how big of a battle you're in, who you you want to call on your big brother. And, you know, some of the challenges I've been facing lately and you're buckled over in pain at night, I just call on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it goes away eventually, but it's such a comfort to call on his name and uh, the support I feel. Even in the house sometimes you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm sweating. Like, what am I going to say? And I say, Lord, you know, Lord Jesus, guide me. And it's just utterly amazing how it will even calm me down sometimes. You know, and uh, to this point, like this would have been virtually the end of my testimony. Grieving father came to realization of Christ through a struggle and, you know, he's, he saved our family, and he's a big part of our family. And I talked about earlier about challenges and challenge that became an opportunity through that struggle. And as my mom touched on later, I've gotten another people think as a challenge. I see it as an opportunity. Richard does too. He saw it as an opportunity before I did. Cancer diagnosis. And I've never said, why me, God, like blame God. But, you know, you wonder why. Like all the indicators for colorectal cancer are bad diet. No, nope. lack of exercise. Work out five days a week. Uh, drinking, don't, don't drink at all. Smoke, don't drink at all. All the indicators are I shouldn't. I asked my, my surgeon about that, and he said, you know what, do you ever think maybe you're alive because you know, it's not as bad as it could be because you look after yourself? So I understand that. But uh, you know, kind of wonder why. And not so much why, but okay, God, what's your plan in this? And um, you know, even think from a worldview, all the, all the cancer support and the research money we raised, think they'd give me some bonus points in a worldview, but no. <laughs> No, God's got a plan, so we'll see what he does with this. Um, you know, and then it, God actually reminded me of that earlier conversation I talked about when I first asked for Christ to move that cancer from my body, my, my son's body to mine. I was actually out for a run shortly after my diagnosis. I'm, you know, down Woodland there, way in the east side, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. I usually go out for a run, and I get pretty clear moments. And uh, I was kind of thinking, you know, why? You know, I wonder why. And... 
I'm not sure if God planted this in my mind, but it's like, you remember that conversation? How about your wife? How about your daughters? How about your granddaughter? <laughs> no, I'm good. Leave it. Oh, I'll take it. No, it's uh, I'm good. But it was really interesting how he can work, and I and I feel like I get a bit emotional. But it's uh, especially when I think about my family, my granddaughter. Like I just love her so much. Such a blessing. And uh, you know, see, he showed me. You no, know, don't worry about it. You know, you've got this, and and I've got this, and just let's do this together. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some amazing stuff through this. And um, so I asked myself, what's God's plan for this? And Richard and I actually had this conversation. I think I, I was diagnosed with something, but I wasn't sure it was malignant yet, but I was pretty sure it was. And he said to me, so what's, what's the plan? What's God's plan? I said, well, I'm hoping it's benign. And God's going to say, you needed a good kick in the butt, no pun intended. And uh, <laughs> I ain't got that. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, I think it's, I'm going to have a wake-up call. And, yeah, God, I got that, so I'm going to, it'll be all good. Well, then, you know, get the biopsy back. You know, it's malignant adenocarcinoma of the colorectal area. And, and uh, you know, we're going to have to, I've just uh, injured six weeks of radiation, combination radiation chemotherapy, and beat me down pretty good, but... You know, the week after Easter, I just kind of came right back up, and I'm working out after four weeks of taking a holiday, and I feel really strong again. In fact, I haven't felt this good in a long time. Um, so he strengthened me through that, so I'm going to endure some surgery in a few weeks, and my daughter Caitlin works on the surgery ward in New York, and so she's going to be changing my bedpan and stuff. So. <laughs> I always told her, I change your diapers. Your turn's coming. So, you know, it wasn't that. So I thought, well, you know, I truly believe in divine healing, and I know God heals through human hands too. So I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to be divinely healed, and what greater testimony, Minister of Rural and Remote Health for Saskatchewan, diagnosed with cancer, it's a fit test, a scope, a CT scan, an MRI, all these things are pointing to the biopsy to what it is. There's no denying. All of a sudden I get divinely healed. You know, now I've gotten enough treatment that that's not an option that the world could deny. So the third option, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to walk through all this, but are you going to be confident in all the work you've done over 20 years raising funds for cancer research? Or are you going to say, oh, this, no, well, what good are we doing? That would just blow 20 years of work out of the water, totally deny what we've been doing for 20 years. Or as a minister of rural and remote health, are you going to have confidence in the, the skills that the Lord has given doctors in the medical system, that he can heal you that way too, and uh, continue that faithfulness? Or I was very open with my my uh, my diagnosis when I got diagnosed, and I, I was very open with my faith, and I said, you know, I have, basically, I have, uh, God's carried us through struggles with our son, and he's going to deal with this as well, and I've shared publicly and, and personally, I have confidence in the medical system, but I have total faith and trust in God, and uh, so, you know, I've got to be faithful in what we've been doing for 20 years, I've got to have confidence in the medical system, and I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and not turn my back on him, and I still think, you know, get through all this, that's a powerful testimony, so that's kind of where I'm right now. Option four, which I'm not too excited about, is all the same, but I don't make it, which is an op- I mean, it could happen. I know the struggles that can happen in surgery with infections and all that. I know my daughters look after me, not let that happen. But it can happen. I mean, if it gets away from me in my, my bladder, my tailbone, into the spinal cord, blood vessels, into liver and lungs, it can happen. And, uh, of course, I don't want that. I want to have a long and pain-in-the-neck life with my wife. And I want to drive my kids nuts, and I want to love my granddaughter and grandkids to come, so I don't want to go anywhere too early. But uh, I want to tell you this publicly today. If it turns out that way, I'm good. Um, I don't want to leave him, but I know where I'm going. I got a little fellow waiting for me. We're going to watch episodes uh, 9 and 10 and 11 of Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> my son was a, a huge Walker fan, a Chuck Norris fan, so am I. But uh, 
But uh, it ended at season eight, so that's why nine, ten, eleven we might be watching. But uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure God's going to do some amazing things here, and I'm just excited to see what happens. But um, all in all, I know where I'm going because of my relationship with Christ, and uh, I'm just amazed what He's done so far and, and what He's doing. Uh, I talked about the what ha- He has done so far and and uh, the opportunities. And, of course, the remainder of my testimonies to remain unseen. I don't know what's going to happen. And I've had even people in Christian circles, if you just fast, you'll be healed. If you just, you know what, yeah, if you have enough faith, I believe that. But I've seen a six-year-old die of cancer. I've seen faithful people in my life that I fall very short from that have died from cancer. I've seen witness of 11 apostles that have died terrible, terrible lives be walking with Christ. People die. But God uses all that. So whether his plan is for me to be healed or I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty excited to, to see what's going to, what he's going to do in all this. And, uh, you know, I don't plan on doing an altar call tonight. I'm going, to, I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon. But for those that have never accepted Christ, it's simple. It's a conversation. I've, I've seen people that say, no, if you're real, if you're real, Lord, do this. Like kind of challenging him. I'm not too much of a fan of that. But I've seen him do amazing things. I actually used that for my dad when he was palliative, and dad wasn't born again, but I said, Dad, you know, I'm not going to force you, but if you're scared, if you're, just say, Jesus, help me, and he'll be there. And I have a solid, solid confirmation that dad did accept Christ before he passed away. It's simple. It's, I've, heard, I've heard it described as the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're the Pope, you're a sinner. If you're born of this world, you're a sinner. Admit you're a sinner, that you fall short. Believe in Christ and what can be attainable through him. Develop a relationship with him. Talk to him. And he'll do that. And then the C is commit your life to the Lord. I fall short, but I recommit myself every morning. Lord, what do you got for me today? Help me walk in your footsteps. Give me the example. My mind, my lips, my heart. Guide me. Guide me and and heal me. So, uh, no, that's where I'm kind of at right now. So as I close, you know, Sort of a prayer. I just want to pray over you the Father's blessing. I pray that God bless you and keep you, his face shine upon you. And as I pray for myself, let he grant you wisdom, knowledge, understanding, discernment, and guidance in every step of your life. So thank you for coming out tonight. I'm so appreciative of all my friends and family that have come. It's a great support. I'm so thankful for my Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, who I can have an everlasting relationship with God in heaven because of my relationship with him and what he's done for me. So thank you very much, and God bless.